Hello and welcome to Upstage the Podcast, your weekly dose of theatre news and reviews. I'm Rachel. And I'm Abby. This week we have a full review of Little Shop of Horrors as part of our musical decade series. We're starting the 1980s today. Very exciting. Lots of good shows to talk about. But first, theatre news. The first piece of theatre news is a little correction from last week because... Update. Not correct. Don't put yourself down. Yeah, you know what? It's an update. Denise Van Outen is no longer going to be appearing in Chicago because apparently she has a stress fracture in her heel. So they haven't announced who's going to replace her yet, but it's going to be someone. And apparently she might still appear at a later date. Um, So watch this space if you're a massive Denise fan. Some casting news. Tatiana Maslany is going to be joining Brian Cranston in the Broadway production of Network, which was on at the National Theatre here last year. Yeah. So Tatiana Maslany is most famous for playing pretty much every role in Orphan Black, but Mm -hmm. this is her Broadway debut, um, which is very exciting. It is. She's very good at the acting, so hopefully this will be the start of a lot of stage things. Mm Mm-hmm. And on this side of the Atlantic, Letitia Wright is going to star in The Young Vic's The Convert. Letitia Wright obviously most recently starred in Black Panther. So the play was written by Denai Guerrera, who was also in Black Panther, and will be on at The Young Vic from the 7th of December to 26th of January. So the play is set at the end of the 19th century in what is now Zimbabwe and it's about a young woman who is fleeing from a forced marriage and ends up working for a devout Catholic who is really keen to convert her. And according to the LA Times, it is intense, harrowing and compelling. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. The last piece of news is there's going to be a production of a play called The Messiah at the Other Palace over Christmas. So this is going to star Hugh Dennis, Leslie Garrett and John Marquez. And I think it's sort of a nativity parody, would you say? It's about a travelling theatre troupe of two actors and an opera singer. And they arrive by camel in the ancient city of London to... I think, tell the nativity. I think that is the kind of the premise. The premise. Um, it's written by the writer of The 39 Steps, so it's obviously going to be a comedy. And, you know, the cast is pretty good. I like yeah. Hugh Dennis quite a lot. Yeah, I feel like the cast is what makes this notable. Yeah. They'll then be taking the production on a UK tour. So if you're desperate to see it... If you want some Messiah in March... Yep. Then keep an eye out. Okay, on to the 1980s in our musical decade series. We're starting this week with Little Shop of Horrors because we actually saw the production at the Regent's Park Open Air Theatre last week, which was fantastic. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But first, a little bit about the history of the show. Little Shop of Horrors is based on a 1960 black comedy film called The Little Shop of Horrors. The musical was written by Alan Menken, everybody's favourite Alan Menken, and Howard Ashman. And it's about a guy who works at a florist shop he finds a baby plant and he nurtures the plant and eventually he realizes that it feeds on human blood and the plant keeps growing and so he has to start killing people to feed the plant and it's a whole big thing so the musical premiered off off broadway in 1982 before moving to off broadway and it ran for five years actually at the orpheum theater off broadway um it's had numerous productions in the u.s since and eventually 
many many years later in 2003 made it to broadway i can't believe that the, the, the gap was so big it did make it was in the west end in 83 yes so even though it was still off broadway it was here a lot sooner and the off broadway run was incredibly successful. It ran for five years. By the time it closed in 1987, it had had 2,209 performances. It was the third longest-running musical and the highest-grossing off-Broadway show. So Little Shop of Horrors is sort of a satire of science fiction, I suppose. Howard Ashman said it was a satire of science fiction, B-movies, musical comedy itself. I think it succeeds in all those things. It's very funny. It really is, yeah. It's very sort of... We said this the other week, but it's one of those shows that like doesn't take itself seriously and knows how ridiculous it's been, and that's why it's so good. Yeah. The score is really, really strong. I mean, I think Alan Menken is a genius, but I think this is a particularly strong score. Little Shop of Horrors, the prologue song, is so catchy. <laughs> it's so catchy. Um, but there's also Skid Row, which is a great song, Somewhere That's Green, and my personal favourite, which is, I think it's one of my favourite musical theatre songs of all time. I really, really love Suddenly Seymour, which is just a great, great song. It's a really strong, it's a really fun score. A lot of it is sung by three sort of, not sub-characters, but they're not sort of part of the main plot. They're kind of like a little Greek chorus, just kind of giving they a little are. bit of, sometimes giving background information and some kind, sometimes like backing up the lead kind mm. of narrative storytellers so they they do kind of interact they're not completely separate from the storytelling they do kind of interact at times but their kind of primary thing is to be there and kind of tell the audience important things that the audience needs to know particularly at the beginning of the show mm-hmm. but they are they they're are very fun they're fun characters chiffon crystal and Renette, great names yeah um Obviously, Seymour is a great, great character. He's sort of classic sort of musical nerd who isn't very good at being a florist shop employee, anything really, and finds fame and money and success through this plant because it's so special and sort of grapples with whether he can deal with continuing to kill people to stay famous and what, what will happen if he stops. And eventually he comes to the right decision, but he does die for it. There is a Spoiler. lot of death. There is, yeah, there's, a, there's too much death in between him making the right decision and the rest of it. Well, there is, yeah, he, I mean... I would say. He, he I does. would say maybe stop at one death, even if you've got to slip that far. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, it's only a plant! It's only a plant. There's only so much fame and I mean, a plant he can does get sort you. of allow his adopted father to die, which is mm. very sad. I mean, the first person that dies, but he doesn't actually kill. He just doesn't save the life of. So I feel like, and that that's that, that guy is a bad dude. So I feel like that's but fine. very funny. But very funny. We'll talk about that in a minute. But you can't let your adopted father die, can no, you? That's mean. Just because he was threatening to expose your little murder, your little ruse, and murder. Your little yeah. murder. Yeah. Just one little. Murder. Yeah, there is that. I think Audrey is another great character. I think it's tricky now because the sort of undercurrent of like domestic abuse that her character is clearly going through is sort of not the most sensitively handled like it's played for laughs that's true but at the same time it's never thought of as okay even in the slightest and that's true that is what makes that character evil yes that's actually the worst that we see the baddie do and it is deemed and like rightly so is deemed an awful thing yeah so yeah it's played for laughs but also sympathetic that is true. As much as anything is sympathetic in Little Shop of Horrors. Very, very But true. I would agree that I'm not sure it would be played the same way if it were yes. rewritten in 2018. 
I also enjoy the finale, which is called Don't Feed the Plants, which sort of brings back all the characters that have died, and it's a fun, big group number, and it's just so joyful. Obviously, A Little Shop of Horrors the musical was based on a film. It was also then made into a film, a musical film, in 1986, directed by Frank Oz and starring Rick Moranis, who you might know from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids as Seymour, and Ellen Green, who was in the original off-Broadway production as Audrey, which is nice. I like when people yeah. get to reprise their roles in the film. And it's developed like a real cult following. It's very 80s. It's very fun. I think you should watch it. It's a good laugh. Mm-hmm. So the production we saw last week at the open-air theatre in Regent's Park was fantastic, I thought. I think the fact that it was in an open-air theatre and so the stage was surrounded by trees was just really cool because it was like the plants were sort of taking over the stage at the edges. The stage was great. The plant was really cool. The plant was done really well. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, and the lighting was good. The costumes were great. Costumes were really good. Especially the, for the finale. They were hilarious. I mean, the lighting was great. The sound was, like, a little bit... I don't know if this is, like, the same with every production, but it had that, like, sort of... Shrill is the wrong word, but, it, like, a little tiny bit feedbacky. I think it's tricky, because, obviously, they have to turn it up really high. Yeah. Because it's literally... Yeah. It's not built up at all at the side. It's so open air. Yeah that they have to, and then it can be a bit much and also it means that I think the actors have to work a lot harder to enunciate and that's yeah. a bit or so yeah the yeah. sound is, is the where the acoustics open air. are difficult obviously yeah. because it's it's open air um but I thought it was best than I expected it to be yeah so it could have been a lot worse yeah definitely also the seats were quite comfortable I thought yeah it was comfortable definitely take layers if you're going to go and see it because I was wearing four layers by the end and I was still quite chilly you do still have a little bit of time to go and see this if you want to. It's running until the 22nd of September. So, yeah. We should talk about the cast. So, Mark Antolin played Seymour. I thought he was fantastic. Like, looks like Seymour. Acted, like, great actor. <laughs> Acted like Seymour. Acted like Seymour, as he is paid to do nightly. Um, Was a great great actor, really embodied the role. Great voice. I assume that's not his actual voice. So, sort of, like, puts on a voice for the role and, like, yeah. really committed to it. Um, maybe that is his actual voice, in which case, God bless you, <laughs> God bless you. Um, was a great dancer, I thought, just really embodied the role and was just so yeah. believable. Yeah, I'd agree, very sympathetic. Very sympathetic. Um, I thought Vicky Vox as Audrey too, so the evil plant sort of becomes human. I mean, not human, but has like sentient. a human. Sentient. Um, so Vicky Vox is an American drag queen and she played Audrey too, and she was fantastic like so funny such a good voice yeah such stage presence um it's sort of like i think a difficult role because you should like you don't have many lines to sort of get the audience on and also you, it's the villain do you know what i mean but just great and like the finale for the curtain call she did mean green mother from out space and it was just so fun so much joy they threw like big balloons around the cast was sort of running around the Theatre, and it was just... There was a lot of energy in a this lot cast, of energy, generally. A lot of energy. Matt Willis. Matt Willis. God bless him. Busted Zone. Busted Matt Zone, Willis. Matt Willis, who plays Audrey's evil boyfriend, who is a dentist who gets killed in Act 1, who is, like, the sort of the first kill for Audrey 2, um, was so good, so evil, but still charming. Yeah. A little bit, but mostly evil. Mostly evil. But hilarious. And then he obviously he comes back in Act Two and just like a series of like ridiculous cameos and was just so funny and so committed, and just the curtain call in a gold sparkly dress. So I mean, great. I thought he was fantastic in the role actually. And I thought the three 
kind of yes the three women who play the roles of the, like that kind of Greek chorusy roles. So Chiffon, Renette, and Crystal were all amazing. Renee Lamb, Christina Modestu, and Say Omuba. Mm-hmm. They were just so good, and they worked together. Yeah. so well. It was kind of like they had a very like Destiny's Child vibe, but they were just like yeah. so. Their choreography was so tight. Yeah, and everything was so tight, and they were kind of riffing, but like always at exactly the right. Yes, everything, and they were, like they had a a lot of kind of background choreography. If you always look to them, even if they were in like a big group number in different places on the stage, their choreography always matched each other's, even if everyone else's was doing something yeah. else. And they were always just so on it. They like were so in sync and so slick. Yeah. They were, and they opened the whole show. And yeah. they actually, they do a lot of work at the beginning to kind of welcome the whole audience into the show, the kind of vibe, the feel and the narrative. And they just straight away, as soon as they started singing, I was like, okay, wow. Yeah. This is going to be good because yeah. their vocals and just their delivery was amazing. Yes, I agree. I thought they were great. Also, I thought Forbes Masson as Mr. Mushnick, so Seymour's sort of adopted father, was fantastic. Really, really funny. Again, really committed to the role. Has sort of like a very broad comedic role, but like was just played it perfectly, I thought. We do have to mention Jemima Rupa as Audrey, who I thought was well cast in that she sort of she looks like an Audrey and her acting was great you know yeah. she, when she was speaking she was yeah excellent really embodied the role again put on a voice and really committed to the part um I thought her chemistry with Seymour was great but obviously she's like an established actress in plays but she I don't think has ever done a musical before and I think there is good reason for that I think she perhaps struggled a little bit with the big songs um she was a little bit flat on somewhere that's green for example and it was very noticeable because obviously it's a big solo and it's it's not even a difficult end note like i feel like i could hit that note she just didn't hit it uh which is a shame it really is the rest of her performance and the rest of the cast was so strong that she did feel a little bit like the weak link only in the singing though in like the rest of her performance was fantastic yeah i agree it's a shame maybe she had a cold maybe she was just having an off day but I just feel like you shouldn't yeah. have such an off day. So that is Little Shop of Horrors. Like we said, it is on until the 22nd at the Open Air Theatre if you would like to see it. Um, I don't think you could get a bad seat or a bad view in that theatre because it's so open and so um, steeply pitched. So, yeah, would recommend. Yeah, definitely. The next musical we're going to talk about is Lacajo Fall, which neither of us know too much about, so we're learning this as you are. Yeah, but we appreciate that it is a big show that we should talk about and yes. should know more about, so we're sorry. So Lacajo Fall, the original production, was directed by Arthur Lawrence, the book was written by Harvey Feierstein, and the musical lyrics by Jerry Herman. It opened in 1983. It was based on the film Lacajo Fall, which had opened in the US in 1979. The title actually translates sort of broadly as the cage of crazy women which i did not know until we started researching this but fall is also a slang term in french for drag queen which is obviously yes significant for this show yes the film was about the sort of collision of the gay and straight worlds explored in a sort of comedic and light-hearted way through the tension between a same-sex couple and their partner's families and this was kind of the earliest that this kind of issue would come to some kind of cultural mainstream obviously the very early 80s. So when they came to make this into a musical, there was a sort of uncertainty about how well it would go down at the time. Obviously the AIDS epidemic was raging at the time. There was a sort of climate of kind of 
fear, but the director was sort of swayed by how passionate Jerry Herman and Harvey Feierstein were about the project. And so they went ahead with it anyway, and it went quite well for them. And obviously one of its kind of most or probably its most famous song, mm. um, I Am What I Am, has become a anthem mm. for, I was going to say the LGBTQ community, but like predominantly for gay men. It mm. kind of had a life of its own outside of the show in a massive way. Yeah. And it was actually written before anything else existed for Le Casual Fall. It was the very first thing written for this show, before there was even a um, kind of structure for the show, or any dialogue or any other music. There are some other sort of famous songs from Lacage, including A Little More Mascara and Masculinity, which sort of do a lot to underline the ironies in the lives of the protagonists, Georges and Albin. Yeah, so I think with those songs and the show in general, are kind of looking at masculinity and femininity in men in a way that is still... I think if this show was made today it would still feel very fresh yeah. and very unique and very um kind of daring mm. almost in a way which is kind of sad to say since it's like 25 years on no 35 years <laughs> fuck me <laughs> yeah 35 since yep. it's 35 years on but yeah i think with shows like kinky boots and everybody's talking about jamie we feel yeah. like now we're like oh look we're talking about these things oh he's a teenage drag queen oh yeah. drag queens but obviously like Lakaja casual fall was doing this did it in, 35 years ago in 83 yeah. so yeah i don't know it's like it's great but then it's also sad that it didn't you know create a whole lot of change yeah. everywhere else but it did win a lot of tony awards it won six tony awards including best musical best score and best book um, it came to the West End, it's had several international runs in Berlin, in Madrid, and various other places. The 2004 Broadway Revival won the Tony Award for Best Revival. The 2008 London Revival got the Olivier Award for Best Revival. So it's very heavily nominated and wins a lot of stuff. I'm annoyed at myself that I haven't seen this and it, I no. don't know more about it, but we are young and we will learn. The last musical that we wanted to talk about this week is Dreamgirls, a real favourite of mine. Such a good show. Such a good show. So the original production opened in 1981 at the Imperial Theatre. So if you don't know, you should know, but if you don't know, Dreamgirls follows a sort of imaginary trio based on the Supremes. Yeah. um, Called the Dreamettes. They're a trio of aspiring singers and there is a lead singer called Effie and she is fantastic and she is sort of pushed to the side to make room for Dina, another member of the trio, who is the more sort of conventionally attractive, even though she can't sing as well. Although, I mean, debatable, because, you know, Beyonce played Dina, so, I mean... Jennifer Hudson played Effie, so... It's true. It's true. So, the trio are sort of spotted by Curtis, who is a representative from a record label, and he sort of takes them and gets them touring and builds them up into sort of semi-successful group. Eventually, Effie gets to the point where she refuses to be in the background anymore and she quits. So there's, like, obviously the theme around the kind of conventional beauty of Effie being pushed aside because she is not kind of the conventional lead singer. There's also, obviously, being this group of black singers in the sort of 60s, there is a lot of racism. And Mm. another theme is how white people kept stealing yeah. from black musicians yeah. and the sort of soul R&B music that they were putting out and yeah. the sort of Motown vibes. Yeah, and it's sort of their fight not... to get on the airwaves as themselves and yeah. not with their music being stolen by a white trio of women. Yeah, 
so yeah there's a lot of themes that are still quite relevant today yeah absolutely um which is the theme of this week's episode is that nothing's fucking changed (laughs) um (laughs) but yeah so these kind of timeless themes and also just like insanely good music i think mean that dream girls is, is insanely good music so the music was written by henry krieger and the lyrics by tom Ian. and there are some incredible incredible songs in dream girls so sort of in order as you go through the show fake your way to the top is a great song yeah really really catchy step into the bad side oh, is so always good. fun i love family so i think family is a great song very sweet. very sweet uh dream girls the song dream girls is probably like i've said this before in this episode one of my favorite musical theater songs of all time i think it's so catchy and good then there's obviously i'm telling you i'm not going which is a staple yeah like one of those sort of cliche big female songs for anyone vaguely interested in broadway i'm changing it's such a good song such a brilliant song when i first saw you one night only both the effie version and the disco version i think both are very fun listen which, which was written, which is new, which was written for the film version, which we'll talk about in a second, but was added for the 2009 revival and the 2016 West End revival, which we will also talk about in a minute. There's just so many, so fantastic many good songs. songs. I'm like looking at the song list now and realizing I didn't mention loads of songs that I love. Yeah, so, exactly. You know. And I also get Cadillac Car, which is not a particularly Cadillac, great song. Cadillac. I get it stuck in my head so much. Yeah. Like I'll just be walking know. down the street and I get the the annoying white people version as well. <laughs> Like, it's so boring. <laughs> it's just yeah. so, and I'm like, why? Where did that come from? Yes, I know exactly what you mean. Oh, it's just so good. We should talk briefly about sort of great cast members because there have been some fantastic ones. So Jennifer Holiday originated the role of Effie. And she is... She's incredible. Insanely good. And she was only 21 when she started this role on Broadway. And it is a massive role mm. for a singer of any age. But for someone to have like the maturity for... You know, to be able to hold, I'm um, telling you, I'm not going. Yeah. That many times a week at 21 is... Insane. Yeah. Effie's also been played by Lilius White, who you may know as the voice of one of the muses in Hercules. Incredible. Jennifer Hudson played Effie in the film version. Amber Riley played Effie in the London premiere of this. We saw her last year. Again, we'll talk about that in a second, but she was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Audra McDonald's appeared in a concert version of this. Norm Lewis has appeared in a concert version. Adrian Warren has appeared in the US tour. And obviously the film cast is strong from start to finish. So Jennifer Hudson, as we said, Beyonce plays Dina, Anika Noni Rose, Jamie Foxx, Eddie Murphy. It just, it goes on and on. It's like star after star after star. Yeah, it's a phenomenal cast. And I think it's a good film. I think it's quite long. Yeah, I think the music really holds the film together. Yes, I agree. But I, yeah, I think it's a good film. I like it. I mean, I yeah. think it, it, As musical film adaptations go, it's yeah. pretty solid. I think sort of the act two of the film can feel a little bit slow because not as much happens in it as act one and Effie's sort of isolated. But and there's not as so- many montages. So not as many montages, but Effie's songs in act two sort of are just so good. Yeah. Um, and so I think it all hinges around that. Um, and there's like... All of the actors that we mentioned put in excellent performances. Yeah, Beyonce's great. Film. Like, yeah. And I think it's like Eddie Mur- one of Eddie Murphy's strongest roles mm. because, you know, normally he's just doing shit. But <laughs> let's face it, but he is so good in this film. I just think, and Jamie Foxx is, yeah, like just everyone is so good in this in that film. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Really, really brilliant. And 
the London production that is closing in January. Closing in January. So do get to see it if you yes, can because do I do along. think it's a really good production. The original cast, as we said, includes Amber Riley, but also um, Joe Aaron Reed, who I think is still in it. I think he might I be still in it. He was very good. Tyron Huntley was very was good. Was very good. Adam Javenard was very like Lizzie LaFontaine just... as Dina was brilliant. Yeah, Liz... and really kind of held her own against Amber Riley in yeah. Listen at the end, which is difficult to do yeah, because she Amber was... Riley was she didn't miss a note the entire night. She was dancing and acting her little so face good. off and just and actually, you know, you sort of I mean, you can't see her anymore, but you would expect the audience to be like more annoying than they were. They were cheering yeah. a lot, but at the exact right moments. I would agree. So, yeah, a rare occasion where like a stunt, a sort of stunt casting doesn't result in the most annoying audience of all time. Yeah, and that was like stunt casting, but ever since obviously Amber Riley sang Dreamgirls songs on Glee, everyone was like, "Well, she's got to do Dreamgirls yes. when it comes back." So obviously she had to, like she literally just had to. Do and this she, production. yeah, she did several. Yeah, and she did them very well, and they were just as good live. Yeah, as they were on Glee. They, she was honestly, she's got. A phenomenal voice. Yeah, she's like chills when she sings yes. in that room. Absolutely incredible. But I think like part of why the show gets such good casts is because it gives really great numbers to everyone. Because there aren't really weak songs and everyone no. gets to really show off. I really think in terms of songs, this is one of the best shows out there. Mm. I really think that. So yeah, it's open until January at the Savoy. If you can get along to see it and you haven't already, definitely do go. Uh, I saw it after Amberelli had left again and it was just as good without her. Got a very, very strong cast. So do pop along. Yeah. Ball bulletin. Michael Ball has actually done something this he week. He did something. He presented the BBC Proms in the Park thing last weekend for the last night of the proms. And that's on iPlayer. So if if you feel like we haven't been giving you enough you, ball, we're yeah. now giving you... Go and get your ball fixed. A lot of ball. He's on He's on iPlayer. He's on iPlayer. Enjoy. Go, go enjoy him. Any other business? I haven't done much since we last recorded, really. No. I am going to the Netherlands this weekend. I'm excited about oh, that. Didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. I haven't done much either. But um, I have been watching season two of Atypical. And I just really like Atypical. And I think it's quite an underrated Netflix show. And if you want a feel-good half an hour sort of sitcom-y thing with just like nice family and friendship feels mm. then go watch Atypical I also started listening to which came out ages ago um, Dirty John the podcast <gasps> it is so good I, I didn't listen to it at the time because I read the massive article which I think I understood to be like basically a transcript of the podcast oh. and so I was sort of like like I know what happens at the end but now I'm listening to it and it's extremely so good. extremely interesting who is this man we just don't know that is it for this week thank you as always for listening we'll be back next week with more shows from the 80s we're i think in a couple of weeks maybe going to do a special episode about les mis mm. all all about les mis which is going to be very exciting because maybe we love the musical but we hate that film so get ready for that thank you for listening and see you next week bye, bye.